Hey everybody and welcome to a special edition international break TCK podcast with me, Sebastian Noren and Polly Costell. And no Elliot as of yet. We'll see if he shows up here during the recording, but uh, otherwise you're stuck with me and Polly. Uh, Polly, how's it going in New York City? Uh, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, big protest yesterday because a guy uh, do anything wrong, I guess. Um, and that's not my political opinion. That's just my opinion on things. I, I didn't. I didn't vote for the man in the election, but. Um, I don't. I don't see why you could protest him for winning the election. It is what it is. That's all yeah. I got to say on the matter. I kind of need. I kind of need Elliot here. Yeah. Like we're an international episode, and and I need someone to go back and forth on the U.S. team, and I'm I'm dealing with a, a foreigner who who knows how long he'll be allowed to stay in the country. Well, my application is in, so hopefully <laughs> everything gets settled before. Mr. Trump takes office, um, but yeah, yeah, well, I think we'll be fine. Not to get political, but I don't think he is nearly as extremist as the campaign was. Well, the thing is too that you know he's still got to get things through the Senate and the House of Representatives. So. Well, he controls that. The Republicans control that. It's not. Yeah, you will. But I'm saying that they might not be as hardline as he is on certain things. Right. I. I. I think I. Genuinely think he just he kind of at the beginning of his campaign he said outlandish things and people latched onto it and he said oh if that's what get me support then he just kept saying the outlandish things but he doesn't actually believe them he just there's a lot of things that Republican candidates have to say yeah. just the Republican support and you know his his wife his daughter who runs his business like they're all liberal. So I don't, and he's been liberal his entire life until this election. So I think he comes back to the middle. Yeah. Well, let's jump into the soccer. We'll stay with the U.S. though. They take on Mexico in the first game of the hex. Sounds like a curse. The uh, hex? Yeah. <laughs> it's the biggest blessing that's ever been bestowed on us. Yeah. It's a ten-game. It's a ten-game stretch where. Uh, we learn a lot about our team. We get to introduce the new players. You know, for two years, I've been listening to fans complain that, you know, people haven't been given their fair shot. And, and you know, we don't learn a lot about players friendlies. You spend the entire year after the, elec- uh, the election, you spend the entire year after the World Cup just playing friendlies if you're in CONCACAF. And you really don't learn anything about them because for the most the for the full roster isn't available because, um, you know, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann doesn't, or whoever the manager is, you don't want to make European players travel back to the United States in September and October to play in English friendlies. And you don't want to make, so the U.S., they went and they actually, they played some home games against Colombia and, and somebody else, they played them in Europe. But you don't want to make your MLS travel there uh, in the midst of a, of a playoff race. So all season long, you know, you never get your full first team really until the Gold Cup. So it's it's hard to judge players. This is where you learn about players when they play competitive games, when they have to play in Costa Rica or in Panama, uh, where it's hot and it's humid, and there's fans outside the hotel the night before the game honking their horns to make sure you can't sleep, or 
There are fans blocking traffic to make sure you can't get to the stadium. I mean, the gamesmanship that goes on with these CONCACAF countries is astonishing. It's mind-boggling. It's, uh, if, if you don't have to live it, it's a little bit hilarious. Uh, but these games mean the world to them, and, and this is where you learn how, what a player is made of, and we're going to find out a lot about some of these exciting players. Mm-hmm. So looking at the U.S. squad here, um, quite a few players from the MLS, which uh, makes it it's kind of a weird situation here. So the MLS playoffs, it's you know underway. So between the conference semifinals and the conference finals, you go... I mean, almost, yeah, two and a half weeks. Well, they do take a break, right? Yeah. Right, so, okay, I mean, because so you... Yeah, no, no, no. You had the the uh, second games of the conference semifinals on November 6th. Yeah, I, but, I mean, what else are you going to do? It's the bed that MLS created. They don't want... They don't want to switch to uh, the European schedule. And I'm not exactly... I've, uh, my belief is that they should, they should have said, they should switch more to like the German schedule where, you know, you play, I would play from August to December and then take a break in, in say January, February, and then resume play back up in March. No, you can't, which have, is when you they can't start. have two months off. Uh, I can see, I, I can see like, Three weeks, four four weeks tops. It's got like six weeks. Ugh, that's too much. I think Germany takes six weeks off, and I think you can do that. Yeah, it is. But you know, the argument is, oh, we can't play during the winter because how are you going to host in Colorado and Chicago and New York, New England in the dead of the winter? Like you're never going to get fans. And a couple years ago, Grant Wall actually came up with some plan that. You know, playing the teams in your conference a certain amount of times a season, playing the teams in the other co- conference a certain amount of times per season, mm-hmm. and also playing three neutral site games a year between where teams would be drawn into like groups of four, and you would play neutral site games in February in Florida, you know, like around there. So they would be regular season games, and they would count. And this is a way that you can get games between you know teams that don't normally play each other. And they'd be in warm weather city, so you wouldn't have to worry about the weather. And this way, you could play. Yeah, uh, you could play on the European calendar because I think in the playoffs run, first of all, with an international break coming right in the middle of it, uh, and an important one at that. Um, last year, World Qualifying had begun in the November international break. This year. Um, World Cup qualifying is underway in the November international break. Mm-hmm. If you colossally screw up World Cup qualifying, then next year you'll have really important matches during the November international break. So, you know, it's I would I would figure out a way that where you could play the where you could have the playoffs. Which I'll give the MLS credit; I don't watch a lot of it. The playoffs are exciting, and. If you had those playoff games in April and May, people would watch when they're not up against the NFL. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's the big thing. They don't want to be too much up against the NFL, I guess. Um, although I don't know how well, much crossover that's, there is. Yeah. That's really what it is. You're either up against the NFL or you're up against college football. Mm-hmm. And and that's a bit of a problem. And I, 
I've noticed this back in March and April when, you know, ESPN and or definitely Fox and yeah, Fox to like, you know, the FA Cup semifinals or or it's the Bundesliga is is winding down and they're showing these really important games on Saturday and Sunday. And then they're saying, hey, stick around, because right after this, we have the MLS. So it's like you could watch soccer all day and it's April. There's nothing else going on. So it's like, yeah, I would, except I just watched these two teams play a really important FA Cup semifinal, and now I'm about to watch uh, two teams in the MLS with one-and-one records. You know, mm-hmm. the game's not important. I'm coming off of an important game into a drastically unimportant game. If two teams were playing in a playoff game right after that FA Cup semifinal, I wouldn't be changing the channel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's move over to the squad. Um Anything that really sticks out to you as far as Jurgen Klinsmann's selection? Um, I like the fact that he, at, he just went with the big squad. That was a good move by him. Uh, this way it eliminated leaving anybody home, which he didn't do. He was able to include guys like Julian Green. Um, and the big important one that he included is 18-year-old Tottenham defender Cameron Carter-Vickers because I – I had a post queued up and ready to go. Should should Carter Vickers not have made this this squad? I had a friend from London. I mentioned on the last show. He's in. He was in town last weekend. Big Spurs fan, and he we were watching the North London. And Carter Vickers came up and he said, "This guy's going to be one of the best defenders in the Premier League." Not only that, England want him, and there's a lot of rumblings around right now that England are about to make a big push for him. And the only reason they haven't done that is because they don't have a manager yet. And this was going to be a case of, I mean, Carter Vickers two years ago pledged his allegiance to the United States. But in the two years since then, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't said anything. And he's kind of said, you know, whoever calls me is going to get me. He had hinted at that. Mm -hmm. And kudos to the U S um, they called and they've gotten him up. He, uh, people are gonna make a big deal about you know he's only played two games because the U.S. media. Let's let's be honest, the U.S. media is stupid and they are making fans less informed rather than more informed. He might have only played two games. The kid's 18 years old. He's training with Tottenham's first team every day. He's on the bench over Kevin Wimmer pretty much every week. Uh, he's learning. He's 18, and this is just a nice way you'll get him into one games and you'll be able to cap time so that was really important i'm confused why when jordan morris got hurt why he called in alan gordon that that like obviously what's going to end up happening is gordon's going to come on as a sub in these games and he's going to score an important goal just because that's what happens whenever i question a move amongst the strikers well i mean we are talking about a striker that's 35 years old and only has two caps to his name right and they came like came I believe in the yeah they came in the 2015 Gold Cup. Like the guy hasn't been in the picture. Is 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 he providing you with veteran leadership? I mean, like if this was Wondolowski, you can make that argument. Like, oh, he's a good locker room guy. He's been here before. The young guys can learn for him from him. If if Alan Gordon's not going to see the field, why not take one of the guys like Terrence Boyd or Juan Agadello who played well in the in the last friendly against uh, New Zealand? Yeah, that's, and, that's, and I mean, he's not really a big scorer either. No, he's like a big physical guy. I already have a big physical guy who doesn't score. Yeah. Uh, it, it's 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 a little bit of 
it's just like a eyebrow raising move because it's easy to brush it off and say, oh, he's just here like because we had a roster spot because um, because Jordan uh, Morris got hurt. But if Jurgen Klinsmann wasn't planning on him, he wouldn't have filled the roster spot. Yeah. It's the same thing with um, when John, I believe it was John Brooks. When John Brooks went down in September and Jurgen Klinsmann called in Sasha Question, it was, look, he's not calling in Sasha Question to be like, hey, we haven't seen you in two years. Come train. He was planning on using him. And he randomly included Bobby Wood in the squad to go to Germany and the Netherlands two years ago with plans to use him. And Bobby Wood ended up scoring goals in both games. So it's just a little bit of a, wait a minute, why is Alan Gordon here? Do we Is he somebody that you want on the field against Costa Rica and Mexico? No. These are two of the three hardest games the U.S. is going to play. Yeah. Uh, one other name that I want to ask you about is Caleb Stanko. I don't know anything about him. Plays uh, somewhere in Scandinavia. No, he plays in Liechtenstein. Is that not Scandinavia? No, not even close. <laughs> he plays for a Liechtenstein team that plays in the Swiss League. And Switzerland is not in Scandinavia. No, Switzerland's in the middle. In more than one. Yeah, but Scandinavia is up north. It's Sweden, right, Denmark, yeah, But you Norway. know what? If you play in Liechtenstein, which I'm trying to Google, and I'm not even getting the country. I'm getting Roy Liechtenstein. <laughs> Are you spelling it correctly? Yeah, it's like the second thing that comes up. Yeah. Officially, the Principality of Liechtenstein is a doubly landlocked German-speaking microstate. Mm-hmm. Jesus, how do you even have teams <laughs> Well, I mean, they don't have enough teams to do an own league, it looks like, since they play in the Swiss League. Right. All right. Yeah. Either way, yes. he's playing in the Swiss League, which is good. Whether or not that's better than the MLS, um, I don't know. But kudos to him for leading and getting a different uh, – again, I say this not just about Americans. I say this about English players. I say this about everybody. It's good to get another style of play in your system. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came on as a sub against – uh, Trinidad and Tobago and granted Trinidad and Tobago but he really locked up the midfield and he's a holding fielder he's you know the guy he's he is competing essentially with Perry Kitchen to be the new Kyle Beckerman mm-hmm. and he looked good and he sprang passes around the field uh, like a a guy who could develop into a half decent Michael Carrick type of player um, so He's competing with Kitchen. I am surprised Kitchen's not on the roster because for some reason Kitchen's like he's always in the picture and then he comes on and he plays and as soon as he makes one mistake, he's off the team. It's it's kind of like how Louis Hall traded Memphis to Pie. And Kitchen struggled in that game with New Zealand and all of a sudden he's just completely off the roster and Stanko comes in and is ready to take that spot. I, I don't think Stanko will see the field though, but... He's got the chance. And then Aaron Johansson is back in the fold as well after some injury trouble. Some injury trouble and good for him. He's the, he's the striker that I was trying to remember who was on the team. And what, like, why do you need Alan Gordon when you have you have out the door and what are going to start the game? If you need another striker to come off the bench, have Johansson. If you're not comfortable with him coming off the bench, you can go to Julian Green, who 
by the way, has scored in each of the last three games where he's started at striker, mm-hmm. two of them for the U.S., one of them for Bayern Munich. It makes the Alan Gordon thing weird. Johansson just needs matches, in a sen- essentially. Uh, mm-hmm. I think this is kind of like a uh, the U.S is really calling him in to get a look at how he's been doing because he, he had that injury, so he missed most of the season last year. He started playing in Germany this year. His manager got fired. This seems to happen to every U.S. player that goes to Europe. They break into the team. Manager gets fired. They're no longer in the team. And that's what's happened to him at, at Werder Bremen. I think the U.S. is just calling him in and see where he's at because a month ago we were able to talk about how much depth the U.S. has at striker and right now they don't have much simply just because people are injured. Wondolowski's injured, uh, Morris is injured, Dempsey's injured. You know, you're down to your your bare minimums at striker. So there's they have a roster spot. Call in Johan. Yeah. See what he can do. Mm-hmm. One player that did play in Scandinavia, that was Alejandro Bedoya. He played for both two Swedish teams. He bounced around everybody and, and the guy's got a lot of He has a lot of different elements to his game now because of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like Bedoya. I think, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't like Bedoya. Uh, like, you have to, you have to understand what Bedoya is and what he isn't. And I think a lot of people, when Bedoya broke into the team, saw him this pacey winger who was supposed to add offense and creativity to the team. And so you said, oh, this guy is, He's a nice offensive player. He plays in Europe. He's a creative guy. He's going to be a big offensive guy. Then you go on and you look him up on FIFA. He's listed as an attacking midfielder, and you think this guy's going to you know, develop into one of the goal scorers. It's not what he is. He's, he is your Jisung Park. He, he, you can tuck him into the middle and make him sit around and, and chase players and, and provide that link in the midfield while also going and running down every ball and tackling guys or – covering for the wingers who aren't tracking back or, you know, he'd be that winger who, you know, is more of like the guy who, when you're midfield, wait, wait, if you play him at the winger and Jermaine Jones flies too far up the field, he could tuck inside and cover him for a defenseman. He does all the little things that you need someone to do. And it's the same thing like Jisung Park. When he's on the field, you realize how important he is. When you see his name on the team sheet, you go, ah, oh, damn, like, why couldn't we play someone more attacking? Alejandro Bedoya, the U.S. answer to Yisung Park. That's a nice compliment. It's a great compliment. Yeah, I, I just, really I see, they, they play such a similar game. I miss him. I, really I miss do. him too, but I mean, where would he play in, in Mourinho's system? Oh, no, no, I mean just in general. In life, I miss him. I miss him. I miss Vidic. <laughs> I miss... Uh, Yep. Yeah, let's go. not go uh, down memory lane here. Uh, how do you think they'll line up, though? Who do you think is going to... Do you think there are going to be any like upsets in the starting 11? There won't be. Uh, the team essentially has picked itself based on Quinsman's tendencies, based on what you need, based on how they how they best play, based on form. Um, Yedlin going to start it right back. John Brooks in the middle. Questions over who's going to replace Jeff Cameron. It's either going to be Birnbaum or Gonzalez. Uh, I think Birnbaum's a little bit better. Gonzalez a little bit more experienced in the big games. Uh, that's that's just me. Midfield-wise, midfield-wise is where you get a little bit of questions. 
is for some reason there are people that are saying, oh, you're playing Mexico, you go with a three-man midfield and play defensively. Like, come on, guys. We're playing Mexico. We're not going to Mexico. We're going to Mexico. I'd understand that. Go to a 4-5-1. You know, that's like playing a, like a, a Champions League away game. You got to play a little bit more defensively. We're playing at home. Play to our strengths. Go out there and try to win the game. Mexico has won in Columbus ever. You know, we're already in their head in that regard. Mm-hmm. So go out there and play to win the game. And, and if that's the case, it's going to be it's gonna be Bradley and Sasha question because question has earned that spot. People think Jones might come in. Jones has played one game since July. I just, I don't see him going to train Jones on Friday in, to try to get 90 minutes out of him. Mm-hmm. Tuesday is a different story. But against Mexico, I don't see Jermaine Jones starting. And I love the idea of having Jermaine Jones come off the bench because he can really give you everything in every situation. If you need a goal, he could be the guy that can go up and down the field and help you get that goal. If, you, if you're tied, he can you know be defensively responsible and help you try to get that winner. And if you're winning, he can come in and shore up the defense. Um, Christian Pulisic and Alejandro Bedoya, they're going to be the wingers. Bobby Wood, Josie Altador, start top. It's not the way I would line the team up, but it's the way it's going to happen. Okay, then. And then, looking I just, at... I, I hate the idea of... I hate the idea of, of playing Fabian Johnson at left back. Yeah. It's just such a complete waste of his talent. Uh, he's your second best attacking player be, behind Pulisic, and just because he can play left back doesn't mean he should be. It's easily the worst of his four positions. He gets he drifts in and out of games when he's back there. It's almost it's 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 criminal. It, I compare it to Real Madrid saying we're going to play Gareth Bale at left back because we have Ronaldo, so we don't need both of them up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, he hasn't played a game in left back in a long time. Gareth Bale. Yeah. Well. Fabian Johnson hasn't played a game at left back for his club in ages. And it just, it, it just goes to the hypocrisy of the media and the fans. You know, if, if, if he lines up anybody, if he plays DeAndre Yedlin on the wing, they get, which by the way, Yedlin's been playing for Newcastle a lot on the wing, which is a bit of a concern. And Yedlin actually isn't a short start. Timmy Chandler could actually usurp Yedlin as that right back. But if he plays Yedlin on the wing, people get so upset. Like, playing him out of position but then when fabian johnson goes at left back they're just like well we need him there and mm-hmm. it's like well he's better at right back than he is at left back he's much better at left wing because that's where he plays for his club and he's better at right wing like you know he's essentially playing now as a cross for mulching gladback he's playing as a cross between like a number 11 and a number 10 issue he kind of plays striker right now yeah and we're about to take him and say hey line up at left back well, they don't need Mönchengladbach doesn't need him at left back because they have Oscar Wendt. Yeah, well, either way, it, they also he, his career has taken off since being moved to midfield. I, I get it; like he is a natural defender. He broke in to the team. He broke into his career as a, a left back. Though he did play, he played on the wing for Germany's uh, U U twenty one team in the two thousand nine Euros. So he was a, a, a winger, but then he went back to defending. And then once they moved him up to wing, that's when he really took off. And you could tell with 
with Pulisic being the main attacking guy down that left side, like Johnson is just left to do the overlapping runs, and his head is just not in the game. He just it's like he's not interested, and it's such a waste of your second best player. Mm. Mm. Uh, looking at this game, also hashtag dos a zero, making its rounds around Twitter. Is that a good or a bad thing? It's an awful thing. But what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? I mean, it's they're just they're just trying to play mind games with Mexico, which I do appreciate. I appreciate the mind games of it. I don't appreciate the over promotion of it because at this point, it's in the players' heads. Ah, and um, they beat Mexico two 0 in a friendly in April, and after like in a friendly in April twenty fifteen, and this was non-FIFA fixture date, so like Mexico was missing all their best players. The U.S. was all MLS players. And the players after the game were like, you know, the young players were like, oh, it's amazing to be a part of a Dos Acero. And it's it, like that's... It wasn't about beating Mexico. It was about beating them 2-0. And my concern is, what if this team goes up 2-0 in the 54th minute? You know, last time they played each other, Clint Dempsey got a penalty in an extra time, and he he booted it over the bar on purpose just to preserve the scoreline. One thing, because it was the last kick of the game. That's fine. That's acceptable. But what if this team is up 2-0 in the 54th minute and starts to take their foot off the gas? Mm. We've seen Klinsman teams score early and take their, their foot off the gas and just back and defend the rest of the game, and it never turns out well. The only time it turned out well was in the World Cup against Ghana when they scored 30 seconds in, and then Ghana was knocking on the door for the next 85 minutes until they finally and the U.S. barely bailed themselves out of that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do have that good record in Columbus. So, I mean, I they under- have the good record in Columbus. It's just, I'm, I'm so mad at Concacaf for the way they did this. <laughs> this is hot. Like Concacaf is, uh, we know from the FIFA scandal, they are up there accountable for the most corrupt nation or confederation and like learn how to be corrupt for me once. How do you schedule us Mexico as your first game? I mean, it adds some, they want to get the excitement level up, I guess. Does but... it? Does it? What happens? What happens? Uh, like what happens to the loser in this game? Mm, nothing really. You have nine games left to bail yourself out of that hole that you just dug. Yeah. You know, like, I think fans would be excited that World Cup qualifying is starting up again, no matter who you're playing. Now imagine that team is on match day three or four. You know, the U.S. is two and one or maybe even one and two or one, one and one. And all of a sudden there's – and Mexico, you know, like let the teams either win or lose. You know, maybe it's the teams. Maybe both teams are three and oh coming into this game. And then there's a lot of drama there. You know, or there's not so much drama because then the loser really nothing bad would happen to them. But at least you would be the two best teams in CONCACAF are playing well and they're play each other. Or maybe one of the teams slips up. Probably Mexico because they always seem to do that in World Cup qualifying. But the U.S. doesn't win away game either. And all of a sudden it's, wait a minute, if we don't win this game, we're in trouble. Instead, you're playing this game on the first match day where if you don't win, you have nine more games and the match number in the hex is like 15, like 16 points. I think usually gets you through. Mexico got to the playoffs with 11 last year, or 
Last time last around, time. yeah. 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 Uh, 11 points. Now, granted, that was an outlier, but 15 is usually enough to get you at the very least the playoffs, and 16 is usually enough to get you into the World Cup. And 16 points is win your five home games and draw one game. Mm-hmm. So out of nine games, I mean, you're, the U.S. will win at one away game. They'll win one or two, not many more. And that's fine. They don't need to win any more than that because they, as long as they, you know, they have lost a home game in 15 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I understand that. It, I mean, it, it's a good way to kick things off. I, I'm more excited for this than if they would play, say, Panama away in the first game. I'd rather play Panama in the first game because that's a tough test. Any away game in, in this region is a tough test, and it gets one of your harder games out of the way. All the away games are hard. Obviously, Mexico, Costa Rica, they're the hardest. Um, it lets you get your feet wet, but I would rather the anticipation build. You know, again, there's there's nothing on the line in this game because ultimately the U.S. isn't competing with Mexico because, you know, there's, there's three and a half spots on the line and they're probably going to get two of them. But if you lose or if they draw, they have nine games to replicate it. If you play match day three or four, there'd be some hype. But instead, they're playing match day one. They play match day five or six. I Seven, think they play match day right? six. I think it's one, two. I think they play match day six. I think they play the yeah. second game. Yeah, you're June. right. Yeah, six. So, how much is I get? Like, yeah, if you if you really colossally screw up the first five, which I don't see either team doing, then there's, you know, a lot on the line. Then there's a lot on the line for whoever colossally screwed up actually six but there's really not that much on the line i remember in 2013 mexico really needed a win to keep their cup hopes alive and they didn't get it and the win for the u.s booked that place in in the world cup so there was a lot on the line for the u.s not so much if they lost but a lot to gain which made it exciting and it put a lot on the line mexico to, mexico didn't want to be the team that allowed the u.s to go to book their trip uh mexico needed the needed a win that game pretty much eliminated Mexico. It's just the rest of CONCACAF screwed up. Yeah. Um, in 2009, they played, I believe, with three or four games left, with about three games left. They played at the end of August, and Mexico had Mexico lost that game, they would have been in a lot of trouble. And uh, they ran a poll before the game because Mexico, I think, was on the outside looking in at the time, where it was like 75% of the Mexican people said countries like pride was on the line in this game and had they lost the game their coach got fired which i guess that's not saying much because mexico will fire your coach for doing anything yes but they there was a lot on that on in that game that mexico barely pulled out a win and that, and that was huge and that you know lighted up a that made the rest of qualifying really important it both games that the u.s had left really important but um it, you're not going to get a match of that importance when you hit match day one and match day six. And what bothers me so much is that the way Conkin kept it, they had that random draw in July. Which last time around, they didn't do it that way. Last time around, they got all six hex teams and the heads of the confederation of the federations all met up to create a schedule. And they said, you have, Conkin said, you have three days to make a schedule. And if you can't come up with something, we're going to make it for you. Naturally, they didn't come up with anything. And CONCACAF made the schedule for them. 
They claim it was a draw, but it might not have been. And that's fine. Like, there's no way. I, I, I understand random draw is the fairest way to do the schedule, but when you're playing every game once, every team once at home, once away, it doesn't really matter what, you know, the way to make it unfair unless you made one team play their first five games at home and their last five games away. Yeah. So you could have taken this into your own hand. And you're a federation where you don't play the last group games in your in your summer tournaments. You don't play them simultaneously because you're trying to maximize TV exposure. So, you know, all of a sudden now you care about the fairest way to do things. Why not just try to maximize the importance of the games? True. Hmm. How do you think they're going to fare, though? Um, I think they do beat Mexico. Uh, I I can't decide whether I almost I almost hope Mexico scores like an early goal, like just to eliminate the Dos Acero thing. Okay. And then the U.S. could cut on pummeling them. But I also think if Mexico scores that goal, all those demons Dos Acero go out the window and they'll they'll loosen up and be able to play. So, uh, I I, I guess I don't hope for that. I, you know, get a two 0 win. I I mean, trust me, I'm going to be at the bar. I'd love nothing more than to scream at the Mexican Dos Acero. Do you think there'll be any Mexican fans in Columbus? Yeah, there always are. There always are. Um, It's it's much harder for them to get tickets now than it used to be, though. That's for sure. My big, well, I said this to my friend today. I said, what happens if the U.S. is up 2-0 and in like the 88th minute, Christian Pulisic scores third goal of the game? Like, are U.S. fans happy that Pulisic just got a hat trick? Mexico or are they like upset that they just ruined Dos Acero I'd rather have Tres Acero so yeah, yeah. Tres Acero kind of works um, Cuatro Acero does not the same ring no. to it no not at all okay. but I would I would love Pulisic to off. I, I just part of me just thinks that US soccer has turned themselves into more of a marketing company than a, a soccer federation and <laughs> they want they want a 2 no win because you could sell shirts that have five straight two no wins on it. Okay. You can't sell a shirt that has four and then a three one win. Okay. As long as they don't put the hashtag on the t shirt, I'm okay. Oh the hashtag will be the t shirt. That'll oh. be the t shirt. It'll oh. be hashtag dos acero and okay. then it'll give the of all five games. Oh, that, that's, that's gonna be the t shirt. No, that I don't like. That's taking too far. That's hard. gonna be the t shirt. And then, you know, on Tuesday night, go to Costa Rica, get yourself a draw, get out of there unscathed. Yeah. Let's move over to Europe. Uh, let's talk about England taking on Scotland. Of course, since we're usually a Premier League podcast, uh, a lot of focus on England. They are at the top of Group F right now. They have seven points after two wins and a draw, um, two points ahead of Lithuania and Slovenia, and three points ahead of Scotland. Before we get to Scotland, when yes. they play when they play Spain next week, is that a friendly? Or a, that's a, a fr- that's a friendly. Every team oh. here plays one qualifier and then a friendly if they want to oh, that's boring yeah so just one qualification game and then a lot of nations have a friendly game okay yeah um the scotland game is going to be a good test for, for england and you know because we i again i discussed it with my friend from last week how you know just the typical england like they could we, we we have problems because it just seems like no matter they keep changing managers but they keep running out the same players. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not giving the young kids a chance. They're going back to the same old players who, you know, in this case, obviously, I would love for them to go back to Theo Walcott because I think his hamstring's going to explode. Arsenal's injuries are already starting. 
which is awesome. Alexis Sanchez got hurt, and uh, Hector Bellerin got hurt today in training. Not that injuries are awesome, not that I'm rooting for them. It's just it's funny that it's so predictable. Yeah, but I mean, we're starting to see a little bit of a change. I mean, you do have a lot of younger players like uh, Sterling, Dyer, Lingard is in the team now, Rashford. Uh, who else is are, sort of young? Still, it's still Stones. It's still Jordan Henderson, and it's still right. It's like Stones has been accepted as as the guy, but I feel like if anybody else makes the mistakes that John Stones makes, they're not from the team. Hmm. It's almost as if, um, I think we discussed this a month ago. You know, the the fans and the media kind of control the team more than the manager does. The fans and the media have accepted John Stones as the future, except that he's young and he's going to make mistakes. So England have to play him. But if they put out anybody else out there uh, and he makes a mistake, then you're gonna get, they're going to get killed. Yeah. And it's going to be, why did the manager play this guy? And I think, you know, again, you still see Jordan Henderson and uh, Rooney is still pigeoned in there. And Sturridge, who's you know, just not on remotely good form, is, is thrown in there when... That, and I'm not calling for Rashford to start this time. I do think he should start, but the argument for starting him right now is significantly less than it was a month ago. A month ago, he was playing the best out of all the England strikers. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, none of the England strikers are playing very well. No, but, Vardy's you know, having trouble scoring. Kane just came back from injury. Uh, did score in his comeback game there against Arsenal in the Derby. From the spot. <laughs> from the spot, yes. But still, he... Scored a goal and storage, yeah, not not lighting the world on fire by any stretch of the imagination. But the, the point that, that my friend and I spoke about is England just don't learn anything from any of these qualifying matches because they're playing against minnows of Europe. Not that Scotland is, but, you know, they play Lithuanias and Macedonias and Andorras and Liechtensteins. You know, like they're playing these small teams where England have all the ball and you have to play attacking football and they do and they win one nil or two nil but it it doesn't prepare them at all for a game in euros when they're going to play against germany or spain or or italy world cup or any other or if it's the world cup or argentina or chile or any other team that might actually have the ball and, and come at you yeah i mean that's why they need to push for friendly games like the one against spain though it's not Again, friendlies only teach you so much. It's, it's why it's why like the uh, UEFA Nations League that they're about to start, which I still fully understand, is going to be like the biggest blessing for all the European teams. And it's the biggest FIFA ranking manipulation ever seen. But like you know, it's it's just hey, we're going to play in a made up tournament, but the the games will be competitive games and we're going to make the good teams play each other, and we're going to put qualifying on the line for it, but still not, like you'll still have other qualifying. The whole thing, I don't understand how it works, but it's a very good idea, and it's going to help the European team significantly. Yeah, yeah. so looking at the England squad, we have three uncapped players in this squad that Garrett Southgate picked. We got Jordan Pickford. He's there as the third goalie. Just look and learn. Good for him. Um then we got Aaron Cresswell from West Ham and Michael Keane. He hasn't Keen. been capped yet? No. And Michael Keane from Burnley. That was a shock that was a shocker. I was pretty shocked about Michael Keane. And here's 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 the thing, because everybody's pretty much fed up with Gary Cahill. 
goes back to what I was saying five minutes ago. Everybody's fed up with Gary Cahill. He's just very, you know, average. And yeah. What yeah. like if you were to go out and play Michael Keane next to uh John Stones, which could very become your future partnership. Mm-hmm. But what if Michael Keane makes a mistake? Then it's how could you start Michael Keane next to John Stones? How could you start two inexperienced defenders? Versus if John Stones makes the decision, makes the mistake to Michael Keane, it's just like, well, Stones is young and and they'll still blame him for starting two experienced defenders, but they'll just be like, you should have started an experienced guy to to over, not to compensate for Stones. Well, I mean, at that point, the thing is that I think Gary Cahill is there for quite a few more years. Um, so it's going to be Cahill. And if Smalling ever gets healthy enough to play again, um, you know, Smalling, I still have him ahead of Stones. So you're looking at... Right, I do, but... Cahill, Cahill, Cahill and Smalling... England doesn't have Matt Stones. England yeah. has Stones as as the guy. And again, you're now falling into the same trap. Is let's just keep running back the same, the same old boring guys, um, the same old boring guys, and, and maybe something different will happen. Yeah. No, you I know, mean I love the inclusion of Keane. I had him on my top but, ten but list. You're, but you're saying if if you had your way and you had to pick two guys, you would pick Smalling and, and K. No, I would pick Smalling and Keane. Oh, would you? Okay. Yeah. But, no, I'm just saying also, that Cahill is stuck in there. Because, right, but you're also picking like I, I don't mind smalling in stones because the guys are going to make mistakes is what we've learned. And yes. think, about, think about it this way. John Brooks was awful in the 2015 Gold Cup. You know, we went in, we knew in the World Cup, after the World Cup, John Brooks is going to be our best defender one day. Mm-hmm. And Jurgen Klinsmann, the following summer, decided that day is now. And it was clear that that day was not now. And everybody looked at him make mistake mistake. And we said, all right, the day isn't now. Stop playing because we still have to win this tournament. Go to Matt Beasley, the veteran. He'll get the job done. And Klinsmann easily could have went with uh, Jeff Cameron, Omar Gonzalez, and Matt Beasley. But he just stuck with Brooks. It cost him a tournament. Granted, it cost him, you know, CONCACAF Gold Cup, which it didn't necessarily cost him that, but the U.S. did bad in the tournament, but look at where they ended up a year later. John Brooks was the best defender at the Copa America. And England are willing to, you know, when the going gets tough for England, they're just like, well, let's go back to Cahill because I know they'll get the job done. Yeah. And you, you got to give the young players a chance to get in there and make mistakes. So I do like that they're doing it with Stones. It just seems like they're not ready to do it with anybody but Stones. Yeah, we'll see if Keane gets to see any time on the pitch. I'm not sure he will. They also have Phil Jagielka in there. If you're playing a friendly, I guess he will. Yeah. He'll come on as a club against Spain. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that make sense? 15 minutes? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Jagielka is in there too. I don't know why, but... That's the point. It's why are you going back to the same guys who are just average? Wouldn't you rather have a, a 23-year-old average player versus a 32-year-old average player? But, I mean, don't they really... Isn't that a pretty big problem for England, though? They don't really have that many English center backs that are prolific. And that's... That that right back... It's coming full circle. That goes right back to why I said it's... That's why it was so important for Jurgen Klinsmann to call Cameron Carter-Vickers into this team because the, the, Premier, the Premier League took notice 
over Carter Vickers' performances in the in the league against Gillingham and against Liverpool. England identified him. The FA was starting to ask about him. They know, you know, maybe he's 18 now, but in the World Cup, he's going to be 20. And, you know, again, Sunday morning when we didn't think Klinsman was going to call him in, my friend and I were talking about how he's going to be playing at the World Cup. And at the moment, it looked like it was more likely to be with England than with the United States. And just hours later, Klinsman changed that. But, yeah, he's a guy that England needed to target. And that's a problem, that yeah. they don't have any center backs coming up. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're looking at the under-21 squad, you got, what, Kalen Chambers? Kalen Chambers, yeah. yeah. It was, he's, he's okay. Rob he's unimpressive. Hol- Rob Holding. Both of whom are not bad, but both of them. The the issue with the issue that England has is that they are the Premier League. So if if you're the U.S. and if say Rob Holding is an American player, Jurgen Klinsmann could stick him in there, and people would just be like, "Oh God, that's the Arsenal youngster who's on loan somewhere." Like, great, that's great that he's in the game. Like. Mm-hmm. If England do it, then the fans are like, why the hell are we playing this? He's not even good enough to play it. Like, he's not good enough to play at Arsenal. Why are we playing him for England? Yeah. Because Arsenal has a very fine pairing of Mustafi and Koscielny. That's the reason. I mean, they do now. Mm-hmm. This is the first year in a long time we've been able to say Arsenal have a really good defensive pairing. What, you don't like Mertesacker? I I liked playing against Murtisacker. Yeah. <laughs> the same way that my Arsenal fan friends uh, like watching Jose Mourinho manage a team that's not theirs. <laughs> yeah. If we're looking at Scotland, though, they recalled Scott Brown. He's back. He went into Is retire- Darren Fletcher still there? Yes, of course. Awesome. He's the captain. He's been the captain for like seven years. <laughs> uh, he's the most capped player in the squad, 76 caps. Scott Brown is the second most capped with 50. And he came out of retirement now. He retired three months ago. Uh, but he's back now. So he said it might just be for this game. So I have no idea what's going I mean, on there this really. Is, it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a classic border war. It'll be rough for England. England are going to pull it out though. Oh, yeah gonna get their they'll get their act together yeah i mean one player to look at if he plays for scotland that's oliver burke 19 year old kid plays for uh red bull leipzig in uh, the bundesliga by the way they're killing it (laughs) i mean all of germany hates that team and they're sitting second in the bundesliga they're the only team giving Bayern munich a challenge yep yeah then we got robert snodgrass he's been good for hull uh, up front, I mean, they're strikers, though. Ugh. Steven Fletcher, like Steven Fletcher it's, it's Lee like Griffiths, Ireland. Chris Martin, and Steven Natesmith. And they play for Chiffle Wednesday, Celtic, Fulham, and Norwich. Yikes. Yep. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. But, I mean, motivation goes a long way, and I definitely think that Scotland are going to put up a, a good fight, at least. Um, but, yeah. Mm, let's predict this one. Three one England. Two nil. Mm, and I think your little lover boy Rashford is gonna get a goal. Oh I don't know if Rashford plays. Nah, he'll come in and stir things up at the end. Uh other notable games, of course I'm gonna pick Sweden's game against France. Uh currently they are tied at the top of group A, seven points each. 
My um, French squad. Mm, Sweden coming off a 3-0 victory over Bulgaria, while France beat the Netherlands 1-0 after a goal by Paul Pogba. A really nice goal. Yes, very nice which goal. Which has led him to keep shooting from 30 yards. Yep. That, as I, as I said, was going to happen. Um, but whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm all for this. Right, France are doing well right now. Whether they win or lose, it's okay, because Paul Pogba is just sitting there right next to Antoine Griezmann the entire time going, Yo, I swear to God, it doesn't rain as off, as often as they say in Manchester. Yeah. It's okay. Like, uh, yeah, Mourinho, uh, he sells us out in the media, but I swear to God, he's a nice guy. Uh, he's just in his ear the entire time, and, and it did not hurt that Griezmann came out this week and said, I want to play with Pogba. No. Uh, that would be amazing. Uh, France, they do have some It'd be injuries. amazing once we get a good manager. Yes. Uh, they do have some injuries. Uh, Livin Kursava, Samuel Umtiti. Kingsley Coleman, uh, all out for this one. Although they do have so much, so much right. to choose and from. Umtiti got his run at the Euros because you know, Rafael Varane wasn't even there. Yeah. So Varane is there, Kjellny's there, um, you know, Pogba, Tweedy, um, and Goal Conte, they're there. Um, Olivier Giroud is not healthy, right? He's healthy uh he's in the squad but i mean oh he's, he's healthy so you have olivier Giroud, who they shouldn't use but they will you have uh Gignac, who they shouldn't use but they might you have griezmann you have dimitri Payet, who yeah. very quiet this season but he's still very dangerous you have anthony martial who maybe gets a shot maybe doesn't because he's also been having a quiet season okay kingsley coleman who usually comes on as a sub they don't have him Oh well. Hmm. Yeah, I did mean, they call they... Dembele, Dembele in. Osmana Dembele is in. Martial is not. Oh, that's an upgrade for Kingsley Coleman. I'm, I'm telling Osmana Dembele is, is all the all the hype is going to go to Renato Sanchez, but Osmana Dembele is the best teenager in in the world right now. Yeah, he's very, very good. Very, very it's good. It's not close. Yeah. I mean, like people people keep watching Dortmund in America because of Christian Pulisic, and you know their tagline to America should be like come for for Christian Pulisic stay for Osmani Dembele because he is the best he's he really brought up uh, that Dortmund squad yeah yeah looking at Sweden squads they also suffered a couple of injuries and that's a lot more significant since they don't have that same awesome pool of players to choose from uh, they missed out on I think a combined... you mean they don't have a striker who just sits around and doesn't do anything besides occasionally try to score ridiculous goals. <laughs> well, Slatan did get 62 uh, goals in the Sweden shirt during his time there, but um, yeah, with missing... Nothing. Josie Atador almost has as many international goals as that. Yeah. With uh, Mikkel Lustig and Martin Olsen and Marcus Berg out, they have a combined like 139 caps, so that definitely <laughs> stinks. Uh, right now... Compilers. Compilers. Yeah, I mean... Right. Yeah, but I mean, just looking at the squad right now, uh, Andreas Gronqvist, he's captain. He's got 58 caps. Then you got Ola Toivonen at 47, Jimmy Durmas at 37. And then, I mean, there's a lot of guys here who are not even in double digits. So it's going to be a tough, tough test for them. If they can even get a draw, I'll be over the moon. Really. Um, well, yeah, they're heavy underdogs. They're play- oh, it's yeah. a away game. Yes. Away game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, elsewhere, real... the if they had their full squad, like if they had oh, all yeah. those players, 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, elsewhere, real quick, uh, Croatia takes on Iceland in Zagreb. They're also tied at the top of their group. Do you think Iceland has what it takes to, you know, not just be a one-hit wonder? Well, they should. They just missed. They add, this is a revenge game, actually, because they played ice, they played Croatia in the playoffs for the 2014 World Cup, I believe. And that's who they lost to. Um, so this is like their revenge game. Again, they shouldn't be a one-hit wonder because they, um, you know, they made it to the playoffs for the last World Cup. And they, it's not like they got into the Euros because they expanded it to 24 teams. They won their group. Mm-hmm. They very much deserve to be there, and they should be able to do so. And, you know, Iceland are that team. They play solid defensively. They're almost built to play away. So I'm not afraid of the fact they have to go to Zagreb, where don't Croatia knock out the fans? I don't know, remember if this one has fans or that, not. That they're under penalty <laughs> because their fans are racist. Yeah, I forget if it was just for the one game or if it's been, if it was more than one game. And then Whatever we got... it is, a trip to, a trip to Croatia. Uh, if I had to personally go to Croatia, I might be a little bit scared right now, but to see Iceland do it, I'm not scared. Okay, and then real quick, Wales against Serbia. Uh, well, Wales has Ramsey back. They have Gareth Bale. Yes, but they, have, they haven't looked that great, and Serbia sits at the top of that group. They haven't, but that's also because they've been playing without Aaron. And we saw what happened at the Euros when they had Ramsey, and we saw what happened when Ramsey suspended and they lost him and now they have joe freaking allen yeah welsh messy goes <laughs> right next to goes right next to welsh ramsey yeah yeah and we'll see i mean a win would take them a long way they trail serbia by two points I'm not, look and i mean this is why world cup qualifying gets interesting because you have to deal with injuries and stuff along along those lines aaron ramsey comes into that team he changes that team and they couldn't do anything without Aaron Ramsey at the Euros, and they and it carried over into the World Cup qualifying when it was when it just seemed like it was, okay, uh, let's figure something out and hopefully Gareth bail us out. And he did on a couple of occasions. Put Aaron Ramsey back into that team, and Wales all of a sudden becomes the team that's capable of finishing fourth in the Euros. Mm-hmm. We're going to wrap things up there. We'll talk more about South America in our next episode right now as we're recording. Brazil is up 3 nothing on Argentina, so <laughs> we'll talk more about that. I'm trying to catch – I mean, I'm, you look at the standings and it's just like the teams in front of them all deserve to be the World Cup. Brazil, Uruguay, Colombia, Ecuador, Chile. Chile right now is in the playoffs, and which I think is ridiculous. I, there should be a rule – that if ever you win a real Copa America and a fake Copa America in consecutive years, you automatically go to the World Cup. Yeah. That's you, you still get to play. You still get to play the World Cup qualifiers because competitive games are good for you. But if, if Chile were to finish like in seventh, then they automatically get bumped up to fourth and everybody at fourth and below just falls down one. That should be the rule if you ever win the Copa America and then uh, made up Copa America in consecutive years. Yeah, we'll see. It looks like Argentina is going to... Very specific rule. Yeah, exactly. Brazil is going to win over Argentina and then their next game for Argentina is on Tuesday against Colombia and that's not an easy game either. So we'll talk more about that in our next episode. Until then, follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Noren. 
Paul is P. Quistel W. F. A. N. So enjoy the internationals and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.